My name is Warren Cook. Today is July 21st, 2016, and I'm speaking with... Tom Baker. In Baker, Nevada. Is that correct? Yeah. Is this within the confines of Baker? Uh, yeah. Yeah? It's close. Baker Ranch is technically. Yeah, Baker Ranch shop. Okay. Feed great. yard. So, Tom, would you tell me a little bit about yourself and your relationship to the valley? Uh... I guess I, I've been lived here my whole life other than going to high school, well, some grade school and high school in Ely, Nevada, and then went to the University of Wyoming and got my degree. Uh, my grandparents, I think, bought the first ranch here in 1955 when my dad was uh, a junior in high school, and they still lived in Delta, Utah. Uh, they bought this main, they leased this main ranch in 62 i believe and then uh purchased it in 1964 and then uh have added ranches as di different places as they've come for sale in the valley uh, i was born in 1970 li lived here through through fourth grade and then went to ely for a couple of years i guess through high school and then, like I said, I went to Wyoming for four years and have lived here since. What brought your parents out here? Uh, my my grandparent, my grandfather always uh, said he always wanted, he was farming and kind of ranching in Delta, Utah. And he, mm -hmm. he always dreamed of owning a ranch in Nevada. And his hobby for years were, was to go look at ranches for sale in Nevada, Wyoming, and around. And he was finally able to... Uh, to purchase the ranch at Silver Creek, at, I think in 1955, and at the time he still had farm ground in Delta. His his original, you know, stake money came from uh, during the Depression. He had a band, and so he was able to have a little more money than other people, and and bought farms out of the tax sales at that time. But he always wanted to be here, and then. Uh, my father graduated a year early from high school and went to the university in Delta and then went to the University of Utah and always came out here and worked. And as soon as he got out of college, he, he came and worked with my grandfather and, and helped helped buy, buy the main ranch and, and worked his whole life here. Searching for a ranch in Nevada. Just barely got inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they said, you know, that he had way overpaid. And he really didn't know much about cattle at that point. But he just, that's what he wanted to do. And he was 55 when he basically sold everything uh, and came out here and was in a fair, you know, wasn't he? Most people when they're 55 want to slow down and go for the safer path. And he wanted to come out and try it. And so he worked at it. He died in 1988. But he, he really enjoyed working. Uh, he always had heart problems. In the winter, we haul water to the cattle and have water troughs out on the desert. And it's a lot of work to break and shovel the ice. And with with his uh, heart problems, he'd, he'd pull up to the troughs and pop a nitroglycerin pill and get out and throw the ice. And then get when he's done, get in the truck and recover enough to go to the next thing. And he did that for quite a few years. And... Uh, when I was young, they used to send him, send me with him in case he had problems. 
and they, they made sure I knew how to drive enough to get us back off the desert. And my, my father was actually more ambitious. You know, granddad wanted to have the ranch and, and wasn't... My, my father was probably more ambitious as far as gathering up ranches and, and doing things. But, but granddad had the real, you know, desire to come out here. And the first years they came here, they, they raised a lot of alfalfa seed. They had raised it in Delta. That's what they had farmed. And they came out here and there were a lot of natural pollinators. And they say, you know, that that's how they paid for their ranches by showing up here and not they didn't have any money but they were able to raise it alfalfa seed back when that was a lucrative crop and get build up some cash and cows and go from there i like to ask what people think is unique about this valley uh i guess i don't really i don't have a great perspective on that you know it's it's where i but I, I think the isolation is is mainly what they they think is unique, and the people that you know don't necessarily enjoy the rest of the world can come out here and be a little bit isolated and get by. Uh, for for us, there's been a lot of opportunity in ranch, farming and ranching. You said you you went away for four years, right? Up yeah. to uh, in Wyoming, and was it just a given that you'd come back? Or did you think, man, what brought you back? Uh, it, it wasn't a given. I didn't know when it when it got down to it. What in college, what I really enjoyed studying was how to make money in agriculture, and you know, I ended up in an ag business with an ag business degree. And the classes that were just easy and interesting were what you did: ag economics, marketing, that kind of thing. And you know, I really enjoyed farming and ranching. What were the first water sources like when they got here? What what were they using? Uh, a little bit of the history, you know, and, and this may not be entirely what you're asking, but they bought Silver Creek, and the first thing that my grandfather did was build a dam and create a reservoir. And, you know, in theory, he overpaid for it, but by doing that water improvement, he made it more productive, uh, you know, a big part of it. And then... A lot of what he and my dad worked at were developing springs out on the, the ranges, out on the desert for the cows. And so, you know, every, it, the limiting factor on anything you do is water, whether it's the cows on the desert and hauling it to them or if you can develop springs. But when they bought Silver Creek within the first couple of years, they, they built the dam and, and created the reservoir. When they bought this main ranch, uh, one of the first things they did is put in a cement ditch off of the bench so that they didn't lose all the water uh, in in the rocks. It takes about 5 CFS just to get the stream from the rolling ranch, from the point of the mountain down to this ranch. And a lot of the year, you know, a lot of years, eight months of the year, that's all the water there is. So by building that ditch and getting the water down here, they, they made a huge improvement on this ranch. Uh, the other... Silver Creek and some of the other places, we get less, uh, you know, run runoff than they than they used to. We we put sprinklers in at all of those places and used created gravity feed systems so that we don't have to have booster pumps. It we use the gravity to pressurize the sprinklers and that made those a lot more productive. And then we did the same thing here on the main ranch in two thousand three, I believe, two thousand four put in a big pipeline 
and put in all of these sprinklers went from flood irrigation to, to sprinkler and has made it a lot more productive and stretched our the limited water resource uh, at the time we figured if we had to use diesel motors to pressurize the sprinklers and you know sprinklers make are more efficient with the water uh, it would have taken 55,000 gallons of fuel a year just to pressurize those and, and we do that with gravity feed water systems so you know taking care of the water developing creating more efficient watering systems has been you know a lot a lot of what we focused on and has, has made a huge difference in the productivity of the ranch and the, you know the same goes is true out on the desert developing the springs and, and spreading the water so you remember those flood irrigation days yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, that must have been a huge, huge difference. It, it was, and, you know, this main ranch, when I was out of, I'd been out of college 10 years, and the, the idea that we could just do away with it, and, you know, that was, at the time, it was hard to believe you could just change the whole place and do it, and you couldn't fathom how much simpler it w would be to run, how much more we could pr produce, and how much it would reduce our costs but you know uh, along with water one of the things that happens when you put in sprinklers is is you're not returning as much water to the groundwater you're making the, the water a lot more efficient but that's been essentially the store as we've bought ranches that one of the first things we do is try to try to monitor modernize the irrigation systems and the water delivery and make them more efficient more productive it seems like that's been a trend since the beginning. Yeah. With Silver, starting right up at Silver Creek, right? That's the first thing. Yeah. You said that, yeah, your dad, your dad, it was improve how, you know, water was getting to that property. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember your dad or your granddad talking about, you know, the importance of water? Like you said, the, the only, the limiting factor is water. Do you remember those sorts of conversations? Yeah. The, the whole time I was growing up, you know, a lot of what dad did was, I remember drilling wells. We had our own drill rig. And so we, we were always trying to find water on this main ranch. Oh, what is it? There are probably 10 or 15 dry wells on this ranch. The people that owned, us, owned it before us, uh, that's a lot of what discouraged them from, from running it is that they kept drilling wells and spent a huge amount of money and couldn't find any water. Uh, when I got out of college, the first thing... You know, the first major projects I did, I spent a couple of years running a drill rig, drilling wells and, and trying to find water. Uh, we, we put a huge amount of effort into it, and we've developed some nice farms. And, and one of the, when I got out of school is I found this water and thought about the, the farms you were creating and things, you know, at the, at the time, in my mind, it it was a permanent thing, and if you could find water underground, it, it was there. And as we've pumped and dealt with the effects of pumping over the years and looked at the, the monitoring, you know, we're not so sure anymore that it's a, a long-term sustainable project, which is a little, little discouraging. I mean, it's what we put our energy into for quite a few years as far as the groundwater pumping. And I'm sure that it'll, that it, or I would think that a limited amount is sustainable, but I'm not sure that 
the science, the figures that they use to determine how much water is here, to me isn't accurate, especially for this valley and the, the, with the geologic formations and things that we have. You didn't always think of it that way. No, when I got out of school, I mean, I. it was just exciting. If you got a good well, you were going to create a field and have a farm. And, you know, the idea is plant trees over here. And, and when you're planting trees, you're thinking 100 years from now and, and even longer. And, and with respect to pumping, I, I don't quite, I'm not that optimistic anymore as, as I've looked at the effects. And the, what, are, what are those experiences that have kind of changed your perspective? Uh, as we manage the water and as we look at, you know, we have to deal with the wells and the water le levels in them and, and put the bowls down. And then also with the good bowls, by I mean the pumps. Uh, and then as we look at the, the groundwater monitoring that's going on, and we, we can see that when you pump, it keeps going down and you hope for these good years, but they don't. You know, everybody dreams back to the 1982, 84, and that was an anomaly as, as far as I can tell. Uh, and you hope that happens again, but that's what it's going to take. And then we have a, oh, the Burbank Meadows and the, the farm in Garrison that rely on Big Springs and Dearden Springs. And there's a, there's been a, bit, a big pump well farm put next to those, and you can see the... Uh, the effects of that pumping on the spring flows there. And, and that's, you know, that's, those springs have been there. People have been, some of the first settlements in the valley in the 1800s were down along that because there's so much water. And then uh, Pruis Lake, the dam was built in the 1890s when Utah was still a territory. And uh, about 70% of the water for the community of Garrison comes from those springs. And then as you, as you watch the, you know, there's enough monitoring. You can see that the pumping lowers the groundwater level, and that's where the spring water comes from. And it, you know, it just changes things. And then, as you look at the science on the Southern Nevada, the idea that if they pump in Spring Valley, they'll intercept the water that comes over. And it, you know, pump pumping is great, but that water used to go somewhere, and you're you're just intercepting it from where it used to flow to in, in my mind and, and that's not totally accurate but if there were rivers underground here unless it went all the way to the ocean it would build up and there, there would be water here we, we pump more in this a lot more in this valley than flows out of the mountains but, and, and the mountains recharge quite a bit but I don't you know by the amount of pumping we do I think we pump about a third of the water that they think is actually available to pump in this valley and in our pumping area, which are spread out over about 20, 20 miles, you know, none of those places, all of the, the groundwater level just keeps going down in all of those places. I always wonder how it would change the way, you know, even just the whole country uses water if they could see, you know, what you were talking about, especially those springs in Garrison, you know, just have that visual in front of them or, you know, interact with the well every day. I don't know. I mean... It's one of the funny things about groundwater pumping is they know that it dries up springs and they just think that, I, I think they're using a short-term view. And, and some pumping is obviously, you know, probably sustainable and doable. And I don't know what that number is and it's different everywhere. But, uh, but a lot of people know that the pumping changes things. And 
like in the case of the big springs there's i think it's 21 miles of of wet meadow on a 400 acre lake and 70 percent of the water for a community and we don't get any support from the state to deal with you know if, if we if we want that spring to flow they can look at the data just as well as we can it's our water right and it's our issue and you know and those are people that know what what happens but that's what that has historically been okay and and when you say historically you're only talking about in the last 50 years which is not a long time because like this valley we didn't get electricity until the early 70s and so there really wasn't much pumping going on they use some diesel but but that's when things really really took off I remember talking to some folks up in Partown about their hand dug wells and how they just couldn't get down far enough to really make a substantial well down to the 70s to really really get going and then the center pivots made a huge even in the 70s yeah. they were largely uh, flood irrigated and so at that time with the technology, probably two thirds of it was just going back to the water table. And also you had to work really hard to get 20 acres broken out. And now, you know, we can put a pivot up. It's, it, it really isn't much work. It's easier to put a pivot up and, and irrigate 125 acres and get 80%, have basically no water go back to the water table than it was for them to put 20 acres in and irrigate that. And so that, that's been a huge change. And one of the first center pivots, we put one in in 1973, and the technology was so new for this country that it basically didn't work. The type of nozzles they used and the way they told Dad to manage it, it wouldn't grow a crop. And, it, you know, it was just the way that things were set up. You know, one of the interesting things... Nozzles have changed and technology has changed. Uh, as you came from Partone, you, well, you probably didn't see it, but we, in the last few years, we've gone from sprays on pivots to basically a bubbler that just dribbles the water out on the ground. And as far as we can tell, you know, that may say save 20 to 30% of the water. And, you know, I wouldn't bank on 30%, but I, I think it's easily 10 and, and up to... 30 depending on the so you know the technology changes all the time what motivated that change uh just the water levels are going down and we need to make you know if we can the water is the limiting factor if we can make it more efficient uh the example when we justified it, it cost ten thousand dollars to retrofit the pivot if uh if it used 10 percent less water that would let us farm 12 more acres. And so we just bought 12 acres for $10,000, which is cheap land, cheap, especially cheap irrigated ground. And so you can, we can look at it that way, but the real reality is we don't have as much water, so we need to do that to keep the same acreage. And that's what we did with the, you know, Silver Creek. They put the pond in, reservoir. We're able to maintain their acres. We put the sprinklers in, basically kept the same acres, maybe increased a little bit. Now we're, we just keep going back as, as the streams flow less and less. But you have to use technology to even hold your hold on to the status quo. The optimist says that you get 10% more acres in this one. 
Yeah. But the reality is you just don't lose the 10, 10%. So, you know, it seems like this is deemed that this, this valley is just getting drier. Would you say that's correct? I think it is. The, the farms, like Silver Creek, we, we can't irrigate anywhere near the acreage that they used to. Uh, lower Strawberry and Upper Strawberry, they're along the highway. Uh, I remember in the early 80s, we convert, converted them to sprinklers. And essentially, all we did was maintain the acreage. And at this point, Lower Strawberry, I don't think we've had water. I don't think we've gotten water to the pipeline intake. Oh, from 2000 to 2005, we didn't get it. 2005, we had a few good years. And then 2011 was a good year, and we had a couple... But for the last three years, maybe four, we haven't really gotten water to the intake. And, you know, there, there used to be some water there. And they, they could flood irrigate and maintain the, the orchards and, and different things. And, and it just really isn't there. And upper strawberry, we finally gave up and planted dry land grass under the sprinklers that we used to always produce hay with. And... Uh, you know, you hate to do it, you hate to be a pessimist, but the reality is, even last year with an 80% snowpack, we didn't get any water out of the mountain. And, you know, so it's not just the less precipitation, there are other issues, whether it's trees and those kind of things. Even with almost a, what used to be a snowpack that would produce a stream and irrigate the farms, we're not getting the water flow out of the mountains. I had another thought I was going to... I've been talking to some folks about when they got their water, how how um, what sources they're drawing from now, and uh, a lot of them actually mentioned your father, Dean Baker, and, um, you know, and, and actually working with him to get their own water rights. Do you remember that happening pretty often, or how, how would those sorts of interactions go down? Uh, well, I think mainly... Right before Southern Nevada applied for their big chunk of water up here, Dad applied essentially for underground water to irrigate most of the of the bare ground that we owned at the time. Uh, and then shortly after that, Southern Nevada applied for it. And basically, when he applied, there was what he applied for, and then there was a big chunk that was available. And Southern Nevada came in and took that whole big chunk that was available. And so after 1989, there was no water. You know, if somebody wanted to put in a restaurant or a, or any kind of development, uh, they couldn't get a water right because Southern Nevada had all of it tied up, even though they had, you know, I think even at this point, they're saying they don't need it for another 35 or 50 years. And so that means that they've tied up the water in, in this valley for almost 60, 65 years and cut off our future. Uh, and like I say, we were like fortunate that dad, for whatever reason, applied for that water and, and we've been able to, to work at it. Uh, but anyways, people needed water for whatever project that dad would often give some of the water that we have. And we have a tough, we haven't proven up on all of it because we have trouble finding it in the valley and we're spread out in a lot of places and we drill, try to find water work at it i think we own three drill rigs not that we drill like a real driller but it's been our focus and we can't find productive water 
and in the places that we do find it, we don't think we can find any more. We don't think we can pump any more without really affecting our neighbors and lowering the water table. Uh, but anyways, people needed things that dad would give them, give them a little bit of water. The, the Baker sewer and water is one example. When they applied, when they wanted, when they got a federal grant to put in a sewer and water system for the town of Baker, they couldn't get water because Southern Nevada had it all tied up. So dad gave them the water for that. Uh, after the uh, after a few years, when the sewer and water system needed more water, he, we had to Dad had to give give them the water for that. So they we approached Southern Nevada about getting some of theirs, and they said, "Well, we'll give that to you if you develop like this water right is for." Uh, and this is throwing out hypothetical numbers: a thousand acre feet. We'll give you your five acre feet that you need, or, or at the time it was 15 yeah. acre feet that you need for your sewer and water system if you will validate this other thousand, you know, which would have got them past all the issues that they're fighting. So, you know, they, in, they weren't accommodating at all. Even though it was a small amount of water, they wanted, if they were going to give it up, they wanted a huge advantage to themselves. Uh, and then some people, the Crouches that put in oh, a dude ranch and things needed water and they couldn't get it and dad gave some to them. And you know, relative to what we do, they're small amounts. And they would have been small amounts for Southern Nevada. I think the state engineer has changed a little bit his, at this point, if somebody needs 15 acre feet and has a viable development, I think they can, he says they can get that, but I don't think anybody has. I think this sort of you know, compacts or agreements or relationships are typical in this valley. Have, have you seen that, you know, in other places? Or maybe even when your granddad came to the valley, like sharing water in that way? Uh, yeah, people don't share water a lot. It's still the West. But those were things, you know, dad and granddad really believed in the community and the valley. And if, if some of that water made it, made things happen and made it better, that, that was worth doing. But, uh, you know, as far as people and neighbors in the valley, they've, they've always worked together. Uh, I think since the early 70s, we've, we've owned equipment with Eskdale. You know, when somebody really needs something, it's off and on. It depends. But, but and the Dearden's, who owned a lot of Burbank, uh, Big Springs and Garrison really helped, helped my family get started, you know, when they needed. And they actually put us... The, the water down there with the Big Springs was always so consistent and, and good, and, the, and the, this ranch was up and down with the good water years. When it came for sale, they weren't that interested, and they helped uh, my granddad and dad get obtain the lease. And, and that's one of the issues with Big Springs now with the pumping. I mean, that's been just the, the rock-solid water source in this valley. And I think that with the monitoring, it's... Oh, it the flow's been reduced in the twenty percent by twenty percent range. Not not all the time, but you know it, it's changing. And the you know in the studies show the modeling shows that the continued pumping will have it dry. Yeah, at some point. And one of the interesting things is Southern Nevada talked in the last hearing. 
the BLM EIS shows that Big Springs, if Southern Nevada pumps, will be dry. Oh, I should. I, within 150 years, the mm -hmm. flow and the, and there are different steps, but I think they, I think it shows dry in 150 and an 80 percent reduction at a time before that, which in is basically dry. Once you lose the head, you don't have the. But uh, you know, we're, we lease a ranch from a family that's owned it in Garrison for over 150 years. You know, in their mind at this hearing, all these people, they think 150 years is just too far out there to worry about. But when you're in agriculture and, and you're in a place, 150 years isn't, isn't a long time. And, and a lot of people manage, to some degree manage, in those time frames, for those time frames. Do you remember the first time you heard about the SNWA's project? Uh, when I was in high school, see, I think they applied in 89. The first I heard was when I was in high school or a freshman in college that they applied for it. There was kind of an uproar at the time. Uh, but then they, you know, they sat on them until 2004. So it was, you know, it really wasn't top of the mind. It was the first couple of years and then it was kind of far out, a far out there project. And uh, it really didn't get brought back up until the early 2000s that people focused on it. What was your reaction back then or maybe in the early 2000s? When... Uh, back in high school, people didn't know as much about pumping at that time. Yeah. So you worried about it. But in theory, they were just a applying for the water that was available. So, you know, you worry. Didn't It was wrong, didn't think. But also it was kind of far out there. In the 2000s when they did it, that's when Las Vegas was booming. And, you know, they at the time they said it was a done, it was all a done deal and we were fools to even try to slow them down or get in their way. And and it was a real concern and, and you wondered if we were wasting our time. But, you know, it's that was in 2004, 2005 and in 2016, they still yeah. don't have a valid water right. And their only, ch maybe not their only chance, but what they're working at today is to change Nevada water law. Because under current water law that's been in place for, what, a hundred and some years, in the West, they can't do the project and meet water law. And, and every time it gets put in front of the judges and the people, it gets sent back. So it, the project won't work with the current water water laws. And then, you know, it won't work with the current water laws, but also if they were to get it done, it won't work with respect to the environment and, and what's acceptable with respect to environmental damage today. I mean, you know, they may have got, L.A. got away with it in 1900 in Owens Valley, and you've probably studied that and read. And these guys say this is a different project, but they use the same playbook but L.A. did it back in 1900, and today they're facing these huge liabilities for the environmental damage, and they're sitting next to the Sierras, which are a huge water source, and their groundwater pumping program has had to have been scaled back and back. And the difference is, you know, we don't get that much water here, and, and these guys think they're going to pump actually more water than L.A. is pumping out of the Owens Valley and make it work. And in the end... If they were to get it done, it'll be devastating for this area 
but it'll be more devastating for the people of Las Vegas because they had to build, pay for the project to begin with. And then they have to pay for the environmental damage. And then with all our pumping and what we know, they're not going to get the water that, that the water is not going to be there. So they'll be on the hook for the environmental or the, the initial cost, the environmental damage, and then they're not going to have the water and they're only alternative at that point if they can do it politically is to head head north and do it to different areas and that just keeps kicking the can down the road i mean it's a pot at that point it would be a ponzi scheme to some degree so i i don't know it, it'll be it'll be terrible for this area and the people here but it'll be worse for the citizens of las vegas by the time they pay for a, a deal with the problems and not having the water they will have built and created the demand for it and don't have a good long-term supply. You know, let's say though, yeah, on this hypothetical, though they do, that it goes, that this project goes the way SNWA would like it to go and they start pumping. What effect do you think it would have on Baker Ranches and then the community as a whole? If they're able to do it, for example, the 21 miles of, of meadow, the 400-acre lake, 70% of the water for the community of Garrison. Oh, I haven't looked. I think they dry that up within 75 years. It would actually be quicker than that. I think there's some studies. I mean, that's an obvious... And, and you look at that water that's there, the next... In places, the next water to the east is 60 miles. And so you talk about the people, but also you understand wildlife and how thing, there's chain reactions and, and different things. They're talking about drying up the last, I mean, and I guess 10 more miles puts you in the mountain. So, but, but that changes a huge area for the valley and the communities. And that's one of our main good water sources. So for Baker Ranches, it, it would be, you know, be a major change in our operations. Uh, the if it works, you know, the concept behind perennial yield is that you lower the water table enough that you are able to harvest the water that the phreatophytes use, which includes greasewood. And I assume you've been out around to know what what the what greasewood is. And if you look at this valley, if you go up on the side, a huge part of the bottom of this valley is greasewood. And you think about changing the vegetation over that large of an area. And Southern Nevada's answer to that is that there will be an orderly succession of vegetation to non-phreatophyte species. I think is, you know, that's their words. But, uh, and, and that may happen in places. You know, there are some soils, there are some places where that that will happen. I mean, I don't doubt that. But there are huge areas in this salt, salty, alkali soil valley bottom where I really question whether that's correct. And if they think about the, you know, you, there again, you talk about Owens Lake. It's, I think it's the biggest source of pollution in the U.S. Isn't that right? The dust. And if you look at changing the vegetation along this whole valley and it's not just this valley you're talking about our valley or this valley snake valley spring valley uh six oh, other valleys del, yeah it 
and you look at you look at the scope of the project and they basically are taking a guess on what's going to happen when you change the vegetation and it, anyway it and and they're what they're saying will work in places but but in other places i'm convinced that they're going to create a real problem and, and a lot of this valley and, and near partone you've got those grease woods and the the water table is really close there and that's part of what's holding that dirt and, and on on windy days it's dusty already no it just seems like maybe what people don't think about is just that you you, know, you affect one part of the system it's a system and so it's it, you're going to have these math like larger and larger and chain reactions but i I don't think, yeah. I don't know if SNWA has taken that into consideration. Well, they say they they they'll say that they will, and and one of the key points is that with pumping, if you if you drill a well and put a farm over it, you are going to dry up that area. But at the same time, you're you're covering it with a farm or a city. And what these people are proposing is that you drill a well and hook a pipe and pipe it three hundred miles. And there's a big difference between a well with a 125-acre pivot that's full of antelope, deer, uh, gophers, rabbits, insects, and a wellhead sitting there. And so, you know, anyway, there's a huge, huge difference in the two, two, conf two projects or concepts, mm -hmm. whether you develop water groundwater and use it right there versus pumping and pumping and piping in the way you know and the humans right that are using that water too yeah you're going out to that well yeah like you said you're next to that antelope what 50 yards away yeah <laughs> you know but if you're turning on the faucet how many miles away i don't know you're not you're not thinking about it the same way no and i i was in las vegas tuesday and was visiting with a business owner that had been there his whole life. His dad had a, there was a picture on the wall with his dad with Frank Sinatra from the 50s. And his mom was a showgirl, picture of her there. And I think she ended up managing hotels. But anyway, somebody that had been there, owned a house, a house, run a business. And he really didn't even know the project existed. And he was a smart, smart going, going guy. And, you know, that just isn't even on his radar to think about what they're potentially doing to his, if nothing else, his water bill in the future. And, they, and you know, their answer is we have to do it or the economy's going to collapse. I think that leads me to another question is, I've heard, you know, this, this conflict characterized as this kind of clash of values you know, from one basin to, to the next. And I was wondering, you know, what's your take on that? Well, uh, I think so. But the reality, or I shouldn't say the reality, my perception is that if you look at the citizens of Las Vegas, the average guy, it's not a clash of values. There's no, every, anybody that I've toured or showed and talked about what they're proposing, they don't think it's a good idea. But most of them don't even know about it, and most of them don't even, to begin with, and then don't even know the downside to it. So it gets down to, I hate to be, talk about the developers, and the, but it, it gets down, down to the money 
making money by developing more land and building more roads and making a bigger city. The average citizen doesn't know about it and wouldn't want it to happen if they were aware of it. And so in my mind, it, it's absurd to me to think about drying up springs the last spring for 60 miles going east so that you can create a new block in Las Vegas. I mean, and there are very few people that if they think about it in that context, that it is a clash of values. They have the same value. They'll say, no, we don't need another, you know, we've got a bunch of land. That... So, it... anyway, I don't know the answer to that question, but I don't think it is necessarily a clash of values between the people in the two areas. Yeah, I've heard a lot of that too. You know, people, tour, even tourists that come up from Las Vegas. And I was talking to people at the park, same thing. They hear about, see the flyer, what's going on, you know? And then they talk, start talking about it. And yeah, not one person has said, oh, that's a really good idea. Let's do this. <laughs> and, um, and that's before you put the, the perspective in place of what it's going to pull out of their pocketbook for the, the cost of the project, the environment, you know. They, they look at the environmental and, and I, or I think, I, I mean, I, you yeah. talk to them, yeah. but, but they're not thinking about the dollar side of it. They're just looking and saying, no, that's not a, a value judgment that's probably not right, that I would make. And that's before they think about their water bill trickling. So, What's your gut feeling right now? What do you think is the future of water in the Snake Valley? I think that... Uh, if I had to make this or you know, a prediction, and I'm usually wrong on things, but uh, I think that the idea that water is incredibly valuable and that there's some here will create people developing it to speculate to a point that it's beyond the, the good sustainable. Right now we're in a, our groundwater is going the water table is going down, but we're not nearly as out of sync as a lot of places in Utah and Nevada. Uh, like I say, we're pumping a third of what, in theory, using that same science is available. Uh, but I think that the idea that you can speculate and develop water and, and get rich at some point will cause the valley to be overdeveloped and southern Nevada will never come in, is my thought. You know, I, th I think we would need to worry about Utah just as much as we do Nevada at this point. Could you tell me about that? Well, it, so, southern Utah is applying for water in Hamlin Valley, which is basically connected. It's not that far from Big Springs. Uh, and the flow comes from the south in that area. Uh, they've applied for it in Pine and Wawa Valley. And are talking, Cedar City, the area is talking yeah. about building a pipeline into this part of part of Utah uh, and, you know I don't know what the political how things will work but uh, but there's a, a you know it, it's all it's a pretty simple pipeline to take it to St. George or Cedar City from here and not that expensive other than the environmental damage and you know if, if there were a lot of water you don't have to spend much time here to realize that there isn't a lot of excess water and, you know, at one point, one of the plans in Southern Nevada changes their plans all the time. But they called for a 54-inch pipeline, 
that would that came basically to where my house is. And during we have the cement ditch that I talked about as building in the '60s will hold 20 cfs, and it's only full on a good year for a month, maybe two months. Yet they think they're going to build a 54-inch pipeline that carries, I forget it, it was almost double that, and keep it full year-round. And this cement ditch gathers most of the water off of the High Peak, Baker, Lehman, all of those. And, you know, they don't understand. that They've looked at the science that says there's a bunch of water here, but haven't looked at the reality. So I, I don't know. what I My fear is that that's the thing. It, it's created this, to some degree, gold rush mentality. You'll see people doing it. And, uh, and not entirely. I mean, there are a lot of people that aren't looking for the gold rush. They just want to farm more and, and do more. And they, But I, I think we'll end up over-appropriated by the time we're done. And we'll, we'll kick and scream and try to slow it down. But uh, the, the history of the pumping is such that they just over-appropriate basins and stick to their, you know, the, in the, the one hearing for Spring Valley, there was an 80-year-old hydrologist that had worked for USGS, and he said, it doesn't work the way we thought it would. The truth is that the water, there is no new water. It's going someplace right now. We're just intercepting it from where it used to go. And yet, in a lot of ways, it's it's enabling people to create new wealth and assets, whatever. But it's slowly taking it away from the guy where it used to go, in, in my mind. Yeah, it's all connected. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's a good example is the Humboldt River in Nevada. Lovelock is at the bottom end of it and has some of the oldest water rights in the state. It's a town very similar to Delta, Utah. And they don't get any water at the bottom of the river anymore because they, and the, the science is showing it's because they've allowed all the pump well developments up the river. And, you know, all they did was take take one person's asset, whatever you want to call it, and give it to somebody else by allowing the pumping. And in places they didn't realize that would happen, but, but at times they, you know, they don't know. So it, it just... That's pretty simple when we think about it, you, you know? You would think so, but, it, yeah. it, but but instead of looking at that, they're looking at changing the laws to... Well, it's the only option, right, for them, it seems I like, like, like you're saying. And, and if they can, I mean, yeah. that's what it's doing, is taking our wealth, our productive water, and letting them, them come in and say, well, we found new water, and slowly take it away out from my... You know, if they dry up the springs. And, and then, anyway. What is this experience taught you or, or what's the takeaway uh it's taught us to be a lot more aware of what happens with water but the biggest thing to me is in 2005 everybody just said you know you're a fool to fight it it's a done deal that's where all the money and power is but the a group of people in the valley have been able to to some degree stand up and say that's not right it won't work it shouldn't happen, and so far we're winning. And if 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 you'd have gone with the conventional wisdom that you know water follows money, power 
all those things that it was a waste of time and it, and it hasn't been I mean this valley would look would be a totally different place if people wouldn't have fought and would have would have allowed that to the project to go through and it you know maybe it will someday but it the longer in my mind the longer we slow it down hold it back the more obvious the effects of pumping around the country become and people that pay attention think it's a bad idea why do you think people fought went against that conventional wisdom in the first place well because by the time they end up out here they're on right to begin with they had success with the mx missile project you know they they beat that down and they you know they're tied to the land here and, and think it's think it's valuable they do have a different perspective than the developers in las vegas could you put words to that perspective well the people in this valley think think that the the streams the meadows the the lakes are are, are valuable and the developers in las vegas think that new subdivisions that they can make money on are value, more valuable. And, and if you look at the dollar figure, the subdivision may be more valuable. But not when you look at the environmental and the, the historic use that, that's been in place up here. That adage in the West is so prevalent. So much Western literature, you know, money follows, or water follows money. Yeah. Uphill. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But I, I think yeah. the longer, you know, if we can, it's becoming so obvious everywhere that the pumping, the science isn't quite right. The longer we put it off, the, the better chance we have, I think. At this point in the conversation, I like to ask, you know, like, what question have I not asked that I should have? I don't, it seems like I've done a lot of talking. You know, we haven't talked about the effect, I, I guess. I mean, they're, they're a huge number. The effect of the people in in Utah from the dust. I, I, I don't know what we've missed. I'm sure. Sure, we have. Uh, the, I guess the history of water in in this valley is that the more you can, can that it that it is to some degree a diminishing resource, and it's the limiting factor on on what you can produce and what what the the future. The water, how much water is here or allowed to stay here will limit the future development, the future of the valley. Could you tell, talk a little bit more about the effect of dust you know, on not just the Snake Valley, but you know, the Snake Valley is huge. Yeah, and it ends largely in the Wasatch Front. Uh, and, you know, I don't know a lot about... It, it would be an interesting thing to study if you took the even 30% of the greasewood phreatophyte vegetation area in this valley and put it to bare ground and compared it to the amount of acres in Nolan's Lake. It would be very similar. Uh, one of the differences, would, and I don't know how much this is, but we were downwind from all the nuclear testing and all of that's in the soil. So, you know, Owens Lake dust may be nothing compared to the stuff that blows out of here. Who knows on that? I, I don't. But if if they really change the vegetation, and they waffle back and forth on whether they'll change the vegetation, but that's the science Great. behind the numbers that they use. You know, if, maybe if, you know, if I were talking to your dad, you know, or your granddad about this project, what do you think they would 
bring up or where do they typically go when you started talking about the SNWA? Uh, you know, we're a project. Like you this. know, they did. Granddad died a year before before they even applied for it. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, Granddad would have just said it was ridiculous. I think uh, he spends all his time trying to find what you know. To think that there are rivers here that can be pumped is, is absurd to anybody that deals with the land, I think. Uh, Dad, uh, you know, a lot of the points I point out are, are things that he said. Uh, his, his big story is, you know, they put him on the, the water committee to decide whether the pipeline was necessary, you know, how, how Southern Nevada was going to continue to grow and meet their water obligations. And they put him down, sat him down next to the uh, a, a real high-powered lobbyist. He had worked with Harry Reid on the Gaming Commission. He was actually the one that put Pat Mulroy in place. Uh, he was the main uh, negotiator on the Colorado Water, Colorado River thing. And anyway, it was obvious that he was the, the committee was set up. You know, they had this and they, they set it up to narrow it down that the pipeline was absolutely necessary. But they put Dad on it and put this guy next to him with the purpose of getting the ranch bought. And uh, the guy worked on him for years and, you know, Dad even invited him up here to, to look mm -hmm. at it and show him what would happen. And they rode horses across the meadow and different things. And and the and this is Dad. You know the last conversation. Dad never would talk. Never wanted to open up the idea that you'd sell it. And the last conversation was the guy on the phone saying, "Well, well, what would you really take, or what what would it do?" And Dad says, "We're we're not selling. I you know I've tried to show you why this thing won't work." And the guy said, "Well, I just thought you were negotiating tough." And I don't know what's the matter with you and hung up the phone. You know, he thought, Dad, the whole thing was just a way to show that, you know, try to get the price up. More, yeah. In his mind, money was the only thing. You know, he's thinking money, not what it's going to do to the land that you've worked on for years. Anyway, that, that's Dad's story is that, that uh, just said, well, I, I thought you were just nego a tough negotiator. I don't know what's the matter with you and hung up the phone. And I think that's the last they, they talked. But, so he's just thinking your dad is just cranking up the price? Wow. Well, that, that's, yeah. And, you know, Dad, we never, at the beginning, you know, we work at making money and, and, yeah. and try to make all the money we can. But the thought of selling out the valley and just heading out was... You know, that, that didn't appeal to any of us. And what would you say to that gentleman, you know, who, who was talking to your dad, said, you crazy? Yeah, we're going to get it through. Or, you know, why don't you just sell out? You'll have enough. You know, we'll give you money. Make sure you and your family, have, you know, have what you need. Like, what's your problem? How, how, how would, I'm just wondering, how would you respond to that? Just, I mean, money doesn't do you, if you've, you know, what would you do with it if you had that much money? I mean, we enjoy farming and ranching and raising cattle and, and hay and beating our heads against the wall here. And we put a lot of work into these ranches. And, and we believe so strongly, and I think I've 
that if you allowed that project to go through, I mean, we like to go to Garrison Lake, Pruis Lake, and look at the, the wildlife, just the lake itself and the springs, and, and to think that that's more valuable to us. We'll figure out how to make a living here. Or, you know, anyway, it, it just didn't appeal to us.